Well, if winning means getting the most, and if winning means doing more than anybody has ever done, and receiving historic distinction, then the President of the United States had a huge win yesterday. Becoming the only president to be impeached twice. That means he has twice as much as anybody who ever came before. And infinity more than most of them, because most of them didn't even get once. Got twi- twice. Why don't I get started with news with my dad? Now it's time for News with My Dad, a show where we talk about the news with my dad. And on the air, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad. Star of our show, Paper Towel King, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? I got so much to talk about today. Normally, you are a shrinking violet. This is a show we talk about the news. Sometimes we try to talk about the important stuff. Occasionally, we'll talk about the less important stuff. When we do that, we try to say so, Dad. Usually takes lots of turns, and it usually starts them doing a shout-out. Pop, do you have one? I do indeed. I'm shouting out this morning for the line men and line women who work for our power companies, Pacific Power and, and PGE, Night before last, there was a power outage at our house. Uh, we were out, we were out of power for about uh, four hours, and the, and the news. Uh, and I called the station on my cell phone, and they and they said, yeah, there were about 300 homes out, and and they called me back on the cell phone to tell me when it would be restored. And then the next morning, I read that it, that PP and L Pacific Power had 300, and PG had. Something like 50,000 around the state because of the huge wind and the amazing weather we had. The temperature went to 61 degrees at 10 o'clock night before last, which in the middle of January is amazing. But but I realized that there were all over the state men and women who were rousted out of bed and who got out of bed and went out in the wind and the rain to restore electricity. And what they do for us is just amazing. So I'm shouting out for them this morning. Well, it happened near our house, and in fact, I don't know if you noticed when the power went out, but it went out for our next-door neighbors and our neighbors across the street. Somehow, maybe because the winds are fans of the show, they just decided to avoid our house and not turn no, off the I've, I've, I've known for 40 years that your side of the, your side of the building is on a completely different different uh, system than ours is. It, Wait, did your, you, lo- you lost power? Yeah, we lost power. <laughs> yeah, we, we lost power. The people behind us lost power. The people across the street lost power. But you didn't lose power because, because you're you're because we're special. But you said acknowledge there's a little bit of special than, than we do. Just a little special. I, I guess not not in everything, but in certain things. And sometimes that being special, you know, has has its advantages. All right, Pop. You know, while, while we're while we're talking about oh, the, that oh, storm, folks, West Burnside, West Burnside is closed. For the next three to four days, because landslides, I-80 is closed on on one uh, eastbound because of landslides, landslides in Astoria, Dodson people serious. The the big rains we had night for last have really produced some really care. So be aware of landslides. And then I, I just want to acknowledge the passing of Sheldon Adelson, 
at 87 years old. Boy, is he going to be missed by the far right. Uh, Norm Daniels uh, of G.I. Joe's, great guy, died. And Inji, Inji, do you know who Inji is? Yeah. Inji is the orangutan, died at age 61 at the zoo. And then I just also just note that it was 160 years ago this month that the South, the Southern states turned traitor. Well, Dad, the text line here is 971-220-597. If you save it in your phone, then if I say something dumb, you can correct me quickly. Or if you have a question that occurs to you and you don't want to wait for us to say it again, if you save it in your phone, then you'll always have it, or at least until, I don't know, your phone wipes or you lose it or get a new one. 971-220-KXRY. I'll say it one more time. 971-220-5979. Reflections or questions on... The second impeachment, which happened, Dad, that seems like where we ought to start. Well, what I would like to do, I'd like to knock off some international stuff just to knock it off. Well, how then, about, then well, we, here's, what we could, here's what we could do. Here's what we could do. Okay. So, so either I need to have some idea of what you want to talk about, and then I'll cue you up for that. Or when I cue something up, you got to play along. Or... We can look together at the document the team prepares, and we can go along with that way. But I kind of—I'm cool with various options, but those seem like kind of the options. If you—if you're saying international, we can start with international. No, actually, I got to kind of do it. Let's do the thing. What are your thoughts on impeachment? That's our top story. Well, if, if we're going to talk about impeachment first, that's fine. The first question I have, well, of course, the, the amazing thing is that there were ten Republicans with the integrity and the guts to put themselves out and acknowledge the fact that when the President of the United States incites folks to break into the Capitol and to trash the Capitol and indeed apparently to run the risk of members of Congress being kidnapped and possibly even executed, that that really is a legitimate thing to impeach him for. And there were 10 Republicans who were willing to say, yeah, that's was, right. Was 10 more than you thought or fewer than you thought? Uh, it was, uh, I, if I had been making a prediction, I think I would have said seven or eight. And the reason I would have said seven or eight, because cause Liz Cheney, who is the third-ranking Republican in the House, was uh, already out there, which was going to give, give the folks some cover. There were, yes, those 10. And I, it, to me, is both more and fewer than I would have thought. We should look at them. Of course, of course, the couple that I noticed were those who, like Jamie Herrera Butler of Washington State, who is in a district that only its gerrymandered lines have made it a safe Republican seat. Even in that context, she has had a couple close races in a row, but it is a seat that has been a Democratic seat multiple times in Southwest Washington. It's a seat whose Demography resembles Washington County and Clackamas County here. I mean, you know, essentially, and, and 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 it is and it's in the Portland media area, so that they get Portland television and they get Portland radio. And it, for her, it was probably a safe vote. Not only that, I think it was an unsafe vote. Had she gone the other way, right? right. She she is unlikely to get. I mean, maybe there'll be some primary challenge, but if uh, but her greater challenge is they're gonna be, there's gonna be new lines drawn. The new lines are not likely to favor her. She's going to have to do something to try to hold on to her seat. So that one, you know, all of these could be explained by people having 
uh, conscience and virtue and integrity. Uh, I, I suspect some of these votes can also be explained uh, by political realities. And for most people in the political seat, there's a little bit of both. Uh, Representative Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio, Representative Peter Meyer of Michigan, David uh, Velado of California, I hope I'm not butchering names too badly, Representative Tom Rice of South Carolina. Also, four Republicans didn't vote. Kay Granger of Texas, Eddie Harris of Maryland, Greg Murphy of North Carolina, Daniel Webster of Florida. Daniel Webster sure been in Congress a long time. That's a little <laughs> historical joke. Uh, Dad, other thoughts about, we ought to give a couple of the facts here. The first president to be impeached twice. After the S, the House approved a single charge, citing his role in ginning up a mob that stormed the Capitol. He now faces a Senate trial. Uh, Dad, the, uh, the trial is now likely to take place after Biden is sworn in in the Senate and is under Democratic control. Uh, what issues does this raise Obviously, it's no longer Mitch McConnell in control of the Senate. That protects him a little bit. Uh, does it does it take it off the table for a trial? What impacts does that timing have? Well, the timing, of course, is critical. The first question is, when will Nancy Pelosi send the article of impeachment over to the Senate? And she has virtually carte blanche authority as to when that happens. Obviously, she's going to be listening to her colleagues, both both her leadership team and her caucus, as to when to do that. And she also is obviously going to be talking very seriously to Chuck Schumer and, uh, to, uh, and to Joe Biden as to the timing. And the, the ultimate timing decision will probably be made by the folks in the Senate. Uh, and the the issue there, of course, is that the rules of that uh, exist in the Senate, a copy of which I have, by the way, is uh, that once it is filed, the trial has to start and the trial has to continue until it's completed. And uh, I guess we're waiting for a ruling by the parliamentarian as to whether or not they can bifurcate so where they would have half a day on the trial and the other half a day to deal with Senate business, particularly the confirmation of all the appointments that all the nominations for cabinet positions and sub-cabinet positions that uh, Biden is is sending up, extremely important for, the, for those to be acted on. Also, uh, almost certainly another stimulus, I don't know if you call it a stimulus or support or whatever it is, but to, to get to get money out to the grassroots to address the downturn the COVID downturn. So so that's that that is a very, very critical question. But but something I've been thinking about, if I in, in the ex district attorney in me is acting on this, I was thinking what evidence would I want to make sure was offered in the Senate trial, and, and the, when, when there is a Senate trial, we're going to have an actual trial this time with with the testimony and, and witnesses and an opportunity for the defendant to appear if he wants to. And by the way, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, there are news reports that Trump's aides had to talk him out 
of going up to the Capitol to try to defend himself on the House floor. Wouldn't that have been a riot? Anyway, so if, if it's okay, I'd like to talk about evidence. Well, I did want to just clarify a couple things. The uh, evidence related to re- evidence related to impeachment. Yeah, well, if if I if I were running the the trial on the House side, what evidence would I want to offer? It would make yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm curious offered. about that. What evidence would you want to offer in such a okay. trial? Okay, first I would want to br- to bring in and show all of the efforts that Trump and his folks were making leading up to the 6th to get people there. I can speak this first person because I received email after email after email from different names sites, all of which were clearly Trump sites, urging people to come to Washington on the 6th, just saying, y'all come, y'all come. So I would want them to, to put on DDT's TV thing where he said come and he said it's going to be wild. He called it was going to be wild, which would suggest a certain mindset before the date. Then I would want to I would want to interview and I would be interviewing right this minute. I'd be subpoenaing it if I had to. And if if we have to maybe have to wait until the 20th when when Trump is no longer the boss. But I'd want to talk to everybody in the White House who possibly would have had access to wherever Trump was during the riots, during the invasion, uh, which would mean not just not just uh, appointed staff, but it would mean the butler and the maids and the cleanup crew, anybody that might have been able to observe him to see if anybody did observe him and how he was behaving as he watched what was happening on the television. Because if it turned out that they would have to say, well, yeah, he was smiling or he was cheering or he obviously was liking what was happening, extremely significant. I would want also to ask anybody who might know whether there was any communication between the White House and the named sponsors of the Big March, because there were a lot of organizations that were named sponsors, and I would want to know if there's any communication that anyone was aware of between any members of Congress or staff of members of Congress who might have been helping the invaders. And the reason that is significant is that Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill has said that she observed uh, what appeared to her to be reconnaissance efforts being led either by a member of Congress or by a member of Congress's staff around the Capitol the day before, which is very ominous because the Capitol, due to COVID, has been shut down and visitors can't get in unless they were brought in by a congressperson or staff to see if there's any communication between the White House and those folks. I would, I would also want to, I would subpoena uh, Kevin McCarthy and anybody else who we know called Trump to try to persuade him to speak up and call a halt to what was going on. Uh, The reports are that there was kind of a shouting match with McCarthy begging the president to do something. I would want to bring evidence to show that he refused to do that. I would then definitely 
want to put on the the what the speakers at the rally before Trump had to say, and to if uh, if it was clear if it could be shown that Trump was clearly listening to what they had to say, so so he was he was uh, legitimately could legit, legitimately be charged with approving what they said when so you have a congressman saying we're going to kick ass and Rudy Giuliani saying we're going to have trial by combat and and then Junior saying we're coming after you and you put all that together I I would want to put on all that as evidence and I think it would be a very compelling case there's also information that apparently a few members of the uh, a few members of Congress were in communication with some of the planners of the whole deal and I should let this information be known that Mitch McConnell has already announced that he's not going to call the Senate in for any special session, for any uh, pre-January 19th session, meaning they'll have one day prior to Biden being inaugurated when the Senate will be in session while Mitch McConnell will be convening it. But uh, And they're not likely to get that trial done in a day. That what is happening around the world they're striking oh, your fancy I'm, or the I'm opposite. I'm not completely finished with, with the talking about impeachment, if that's okay. Oh, go ahead. Well, what, one of the interesting things is he's, <laughs> he is having, and he's going to have, trouble finding any respectable lawyers who are willing to represent him in the trial. And, and the talk is that he's going to have Rudy Giuliani. And if... if uh, he has Rudy Giuliani. If I were prosecuting the case on behalf of the South, of the, the House, I would call Rudy Giuliani as a witness. I would make him testify under oath as to what conversations he might have had with the president. And he would say, well, I have lawyer-client privilege. And you say, you had a lawyer-client privilege. Wait a minute. If you are, a, if you are participating in an illegal activity, there is no privilege, which I think would be very, very interesting. The One of the principal reasons, of course, other than just putting down the line in the sand that we are not going to paper over conduct like this, one of the big considerations is to, once he is impeached the, by a two-thirds, if he's tried and convicted by a two-thirds majority, by a simple majority, they can forbid his ever serving uh, uh, in a federal post of any kind, which means he couldn't run for president. Yeah, I'll jump in there. The uh, we had on Jim Westwood who brought up the uh, who brought up that Fourteenth uh, Amendment. Yeah, rule. I was about to talk about that. The third, the third, the third paragraph of the, the third section of the Fourteenth Amendment. Uh, what might be another way? Go ahead and tell about it. The. Uh, and the interesting thing, the counter-argument to it, Lawrence Tribe came in and said, no, no, that's not really a thing. And then the former Solicitor General of the United States said, yeah, no, I'm friends with Larry, but in case together, I disagree. It is a thing. Uh, the big question is, uh, the, the, way I would, the way I would order the thinking is that it could be viewed if you did it just against the president as a bill of attainder. Now, what the bill of attainder prohibits is passing a law to dep- that would deprive somebody without due process of law. And... That then begs the question, what is due process? That would, and I can imagine there being disagreement on this. And someone say, well, there needs to be some process. There needs to be some trial, some due process of law. Now, 
fortunately or unfortunately, there already is now a tradition, not the rules not set out in the Constitution to be clear about how a about how an impeachment trial should proceed, but it does provide some rules, and we do ha- now have the two-thirds requirement for conviction. So the so right now, one interpretation is that that standard, that two-thirds standard for conviction for impeachment, could be deemed as the same standard to justify due process of law for the process needed to avoid a bill of attainder challenge or some other challenge to the constitutionality of an application of that portion of the 14th Amendment. So through that line of thinking, it would be the same that if you did impeach, then you could ha- use the 14th Amendment to uh, prohibit future uh, service, uh, uh, further uh, service in, I'm stumbling over the word service, it's hard for me to call what the president has done over the last four years service, but that's just my jaundiced political eye, uh, jaundiced partisan eye. But anyway, bar him from further wielding of federal elected power. Uh, How does your mind either comport with that as your line of thinking, either go along with that, Dad, or where do you see divergences? Well, well, the Bill of Attainder is, of course, a, a very interesting argument because historically a Bill of Attainder was something that was passed, was enacted, after somebody had done something wrong and and the the constitutional provision existing there the question would be did would you have to find by would it be okay to find by the senate that there had been a violation of that or would it have to be a court proceeding and if it were a court proceeding hey department of justice could legitimately charge the guy and see if they could get a conviction but uh, I, I suspect none of that is going to happen. But while we're talking about this, one of the real concerns that people have is that there's a the, the FBI now reveals that there was a whole lot of chatter and apparently a whole lot of planning going on between some of these groups as to what happened on the 6th. And the same kind of chatter has been going on about this weekend and by ne- about next Wednesday. And what I would say about this is if you are considering going to Salem because the threats are apparently for state capitals as well as Washington, D.C. If you are considering going as a counter-protester, do not do that. Stay home. Stay home. And I would, in doing that, I would quote Napoleon who said, never interfere with your enemy when he is making a mistake. Because if these far-right folks do go to the capitals, and do try to cause big trouble in Washington D.C. again. It is going to it is going to hurt the far right radicals, and so stay home, folks. Stay home. Well, Dad, if you want to get your national news out, we ought to do that because we're going to be switching to local news after the break. Uh, oh, I, I was thinking if we're going to go to local news. I was thinking that we would just spend the whole last fifteen minutes after Mike Schmidt on local news because there's other stuff to talk about but we we can maybe do it both times there's, there's lots to talk about we we should probably tell people that we're going to have mike schmidt the district new district attorney now officially the district attorney and not just the acting district attorney because he's now after the first of january of multnomah county from uh, 830 to 845 uh, so but international stuff israel interesting thing is in israel you cannot get married in a civil ceremony. To get married, it has to be a religious ceremony. And so folks in Israel 
who don't want to get married by a rabbi in a in a religious ceremony have had to leave the country. But the state of Utah is now allowing people to get married online. And so some Israel Israeli couples have been using that to stay home and still get married online in the state of Utah. And a Israeli court has said that's okay, and the conservative rabbis are appealing that and say that's not okay. I think that, that is a fascinating thing and something for for us to watch and see what is going to happen. Awful thing in Ethiopia yesterday. Over 80 ethnic Ethiopians were simply murdered by other ethnic Ethiopians the, uh, with with guns and with not with swords. Over 80 people. What do they think they're accomplishing? I think we should acknowledge the the what uh, Kim of North Korea has said about pursuing nukes. That they're going ahead, going after nukes. All that uh, DDT did apparently didn't have much success there. The open doors rating on religious persecutions of Christians puts North Korea at the top, and uh, the. Uh, the second is uh, Afghanistan. Nigeria is still on the list. They're just most, mostly African and Middle East countries. Saudi Arabia didn't make the top ten, which I think was interesting. Pa- Pakistan is charging the U.S.-based Ahmad website with blasphemy and they they would like to and then they're threatening a three million dollar fine with a website based in the united states because the the amadi muslims are considered by the shia at least not to be true muslims because they look to a 19th century leader as sort of a as both messiah and sort of as a sub prophet but uh, we we are so blessed in this country to not to not have a government that is religiously based and uh, later on I, I have some a factoid that is relevant to that the also, Pakistan is going after Google and Wikipedia for allowing Ahmadi to have information on there. The if uh, it is international, if you are outside the country or planning on going to the country and coming back after the 26th of this month, you got to get tested to come back in. Iran has announced that it is going to go ahead and enrich uranium sufficient to maybe build some bombs. And, of course, that's the direct result of DDT's pulling us out of the Iran agreement. Cuba has been placed on the support of terrorists, back on the support of terrorists by by Pompeo, with very, very little evidence. And what they're citing is saying because, uh, because Cuba still maintains relationships but uh, and while we're talking about Pompeo, he's been tweeting over a dozen times a day 
obviously wants to lay down his his uh, desire to be a presidential candidate to run for president in four years. Oh, I can't. Who and and that's a that's something really worth talking about now or or maybe sometime between in the next few weeks as to who the Republican candidates are most likely to be if the president does is removed is tried and found guilty or even if he isn't if there's a sufficient number of Republicans who vote to do it even short of the 17 that are needed so that he would be so injured it would not be realistic for him to run who are all the candidates uh, and do you have a short list already uh, I don't okay well what I call the DDT detritus the stuff that he is leaving behind the uh, well the, the, a lot of folks jumping ship Chad Wolf at Department of Homeless Security DeVos at Education Chow at Transportation lots of uh, lots of uh, lower the, these are folks you're thinking might be candidates and I'm thinking of who might be candidates Pence of course and Pompeo and uh, what's his name uh, the, uh, Ted Cruz I'm blocking on the other senator who led the Josh Hawley yeah the, those, those are, are obvious people Nikki Haley I think would certainly be one uh, what, what? Any other names that occur to you? I need to look at it a little bit more. Josh Hawley was. I mean, I think if I were going to pick one that you hadn't said, it would be Tom Cotton. Uh, oh I, yeah, Tom Cotton would be a real possibility. I think he is very likely, and uh, and I think Nikki Haley is very likely. Uh, it the the Yale Law School guy who's uh, who's also uh, who also was trying to. Uh, suborn and encourage insurrection, Josh Hawley. Uh, I think that it's, uh, I am fascinated by what happens there. Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley essentially have the same analysis, which is they're, they're, you know, sort of fancy boy law students. I say that with love. I, at a time, was a fancy boy law student as well, who want to who wanna seem like, you know, tough guy right wingers and don't want there to be any daylight between them and anybody, any other fart right winger. And so they'll, they will go to the edge of the Overton window. And there really is a question is that is going to be how that will play in 2024 in Republican primaries. U.S. unemployment claims have neared a million. Former Michigan governor has been charged with the Flint water crisis. Supreme Court has revived an abortion pill restriction. Amy Coney Barrett joined as the first case it will be excuse may the first case on abortion that the court hears since coney barrett joined the court the rule the court reinstated says that women picking up pills to end their pregnancy must do so in person so meyer kagan and Breyer all dissented john roberts said the ruling was a limited one that deferred to the views of experts dad any comments on any of those national stories before we yeah, start well, this, cooking on the local sig- the significant the significant thing about that is that uh, and that uh, I think legitimately falls within what I want to finish before we move on, which I call the detritus of the Trump administration. Trump, that that is a rule that was adopted, and 
and the Supreme Court has upheld the rule, but they have there's no constitutional issue in upholding the rule if uh, the Biden administration decides to change the rule, which I'm quite confident they will. That will uh, change it, and and there there really won't be any appeal from that because the court has already said we're going to bow to the experts and. The experts are the ones who said the woman has got to go to the go to the pharmacy to get it, uh, which is just just nonsense. But it's a it's a straw as to of course where the present court is liable to be looking to go. Other other detritus that I would call detritus, of course, is stuff that is left behind. The Matt Getz, the Congressman Matt Getz, who of course was one of the most virulent opponents of the impeachment and one of those virulent supporters of the objections to the Electoral College vote, I have received from him in the last 24 hours over 10 money asks, all saying it was, we, I should give him money because of his courage on impeachment. But the interesting thing is Every one of the the addresses from which those are coming, and there are four different addresses, are all DDT addresses. And so it appears that Matt gets I don't know what kind of a deal he has, but the money is being laundered, at least any money he's getting, is being laundered through DDT, and, and I'd be willing to bet lots that... DDT is getting a cut, and that might, by the way, be another legitimate piece of evidence in the impeachment trial. Other detritus, it, the apparently, the they're going to they're they're trying to give Hammonds a ten-year lease. The Hammonds are the folks who were the cause of the the Malheur the Malheur uh, invasion a few years ago to give them another 10-year lease on the farm, and that's going to be an interesting thing to show. The uh, Cleet Mitchell and Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, I think, are all going to be having to talk to bar associations as to whether or not their conduct justifies maybe taking away their law license or at least disciplining them in some way. The the president decided he was going to give two uh, top awards. The what's the, what's the name of the top civilian award? I'm blocking on it. Congressional Medal of Freedom. Yeah, Congressional Medal of Freedom. Gave one to Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan, who is, is to me one of the most despicable politicians I have ever seen. So help me, this guy who has who has done more that any congressman, I believe, in office right now to create divisions and to underline divisions made a big thing the other day saying impeachment. How does that help unity? What we need is unity. But anyway, Jim Jordan accepted it, but Bill Belichick said, I'm not willing to take it because I don't want to be seen as associated with the president. Bill Belichick is probably has more respect right now that he has had ever ever before. The Dominion is suing Cleet Mitchell and Sidney Powell is already suing Sidney Powell, probably going to sue Rudy. So that's going to be other detritus. 
and and what I think is really needed, and this is something that 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 I hope will be seriously considered, is to create some kind of truth and reconciliation commission, similar similar maybe to uh, to what was done in South Africa or other places, but anyhow, to allow a full investigation and an opportunity for the folks who have been screaming fraud, hoax, rigged election, for them to bring in their evidence and vet their evidence and put it out there so that the the folks that, that, that I get emails from who insist that there are 2,000 affidavits out there that the courts haven't looked at, so those would be put out, those people would have an opportunity to come in and testify under oath, and of course there would be opportunity to rebut whatever it was they said, at the end of which I think anybody who was on the fence on the question as to whether or not there was a rigged election would be satisfied there wasn't. There would still be some percentage of the radical right faithful who will never believe anything other than the fact that it was rigged. But but I really hope that something like that happens. And just one other piece of detritus might be worth mentioning. The Ms. Stirrup, who was the liaison to the Department of Justice, turns out she was trying very hard to get the Department of Justice to provide information that would be damning or to Gene Carroll, who is suing Trump for libel for calling her a liar when she has said that he raped her. And <laughs> that... Uh, that, of course, is uh, evidence that uh, to, if Carol actually gets to trial, and I think it might get to trial, that's something that is not going to go away. Dad, we just got a text in. It said, text, Jefferson, where are you? As much as I like this new format of news by my dad, I tuned in to hear news with my dad. <laughs> that's because they're used to you doing most of the talking. Dad, I don't think you're catching the dynamic. Anyway, I will respond to a question you asked earlier. The uh, I, I did some research while you were uh, while you were doing your thing on likely presidential candidates, uh, and here is what my research has shown. It's a pretty long list. I will go through it briskly. Uh, ben Sass, Tom Cotton. There's an excellent article that I'm stealing from uh, in Politico that puts them into clumps, and and it's relatively comprehensive. So under the and, and in their clumps, what they've got is one of the one of the, actually they say Donald Trump is one of the clumps, uh, and another one of the clump is Joe Biden, because uh, you know both of them could run for president at this point unless something changes. Uh, Mike Pence is of course been said, and Kamala Harris, uh, Mike Pence and Kamala Harris might seem the most likely, but the list goes oh, on. This, this, this is this is including this is including the Democrats. Uh, I would. I would predict that if Joe Biden decides to run again, it'll be Joe Biden. If he doesn't, then Kamala Harris, then maybe. But the Republicans are the one I'm most interested in. I hear Sass and Pence. Who else? I'll go on. Go on. Under the category of Republican barrier breakers, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. We mentioned Nikki Haley. We didn't mention Tim Scott. Under the category of 
the move on Republicans, not as in moveon.org, but as in, hey, let's not talk about this anymore and let's be very different from Donald Trump. Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, Chris Christie and Ben Sass. Moving on to the category of the Trump-ish senators, Marco Rubio, who I don't think we mentioned, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, who we did, uh, Tom Cotton, who we did, and Rick Scott, senator from Florida, who I do also think is a pretty decent chance. He'll certainly be sniffing around for early donors. Then the red state governors, Christy Known of South Dakota, got a little more notable, Greg Abbott of Texas, and Ron DeSantis of Florida. And then, yeah, they do mention a couple of Democrats, the big blue governors, Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom, even some speculation about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But I wanted to mention these couple because I thought they were a little bit funny. Uh, the second one is particularly funny. The other one is interesting and wouldn't be terribly surprised, and that's Tucker Carlson. Uh, he has said, no, I'm not running for anything. He said in an August podcast interview, but of course started in politics before he was on TV. And the other one, and the last one, and it feels fitting, is Mike Lindell, the starter of my pillow. So, you know, he'd be trying to be my president, or at least somebody's president. The Oregon BIPOC Caucus unveiled their legislative priorities for the upcoming 2021 session. That's coming right up, and we'll be covering it, of course. Their top 10 list includes legislation for increased police accountability, carrying on from what was done during one of the special sessions previously. Also, though, House Bill 2366 would restore voting rights for incarcerated individuals. Now, to be clear, I haven't yet read the bill, but I think what that means, since we already have previously incarcerated individuals allowed to vote in Oregon, kind of like Florida just voted on. We've covered that on the show and talked about it at length, but we already had that law here. So I think what House Bill 2366 must say, and in fact, I'm even to take my own advice I was about to give and I can look it up. But I think what that means is currently incarcerated individuals would be allowed to vote. Dad, anything you're looking forward to in the coming legislative session or any thoughts about any of that? Well, I, 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 uh, I got fascinated, fascinated by the, the prospect or the, the visual of political candidates going to the joint to right? address to address voters that that's a that would be a very interesting thing but but I'm inclined to think that 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 might be a really a really good thing for the rehabilitation of the folks in prison that uh, give them a a feeling that they are participating in something along with the rest of the population that uh, gives them a sense of some civic duty. It'll be like Johnny Cash, like as your first thing, right? Like the politicians going in there, maybe they'll bring a guitar, dress all in black, go in there, be like Johnny Cash, taking in prison. No, it's fascinating, right? And what will the rules be for, in fact, doing it? Is it just mail, right? You just start but thinking about all the mail. That start, will you start putting up posters, Right? Will you do like TV ads and what, and what particular would, TV channels that you know get played in the clink? I like calling it the clink because you know I'm modern. Go ahead, Pop. What would be what would be the rules about the inmates themselves? In fact, about, them them politicking, right? So yeah. would you would you be allowed to communicate to say, okay, I need I need three, I need my Sheridan captain, right? I need my state hospital captain. Who and now you go and get all your buddies 
to vote for me and if you do so blank good thing happens no it's a fascinating it's a fascinating thing but i, I you, you made both oh, go ahead to, do i get to wear a mega hat <laughs> it's, yeah, you know, like what is the pin? Or an anti-mug hat. But probably not buttons because they got sharp things on. we got to be careful there. The second point you made, though, is, a, is also a good one. A study, if I ran the Ford Foundation, one of the studies I would, uh, I, I would fund, if the right person would put it forward, would be a study on the following. I remember back in the day when I was pushing for, uh, for voter registration and and pushing for things you know like automatic voter registration and like online voter registration, basically pushing for access to the ballot, which was you know I spent much of my uh, much of my thirties, uh, most of my thirties. The uh, one of the arguments I would get, I still remember I was speaking down at Pomona College in California, and there was a kid, and I used to go there regularly. And there was a kid who liked to pretty much every time I went down, he liked to argue with me, and he was a smart kid and not as smart quite as he thought. But uh, and, he, and his argument was basically like, why do you want the dum-dums to vote? Shouldn't shouldn't democracy be uh, wouldn't it be better if the people who actually were more informed to vote? And don't we think that going through the trouble, going through some hurdles in order to vote is some proxy to make sure it's not the dum-dums ruling everything? And uh, and that, by the way, is not a his is not an extremist view. His is a view that I disagree with strongly, but I, I should at least say it's not a. It's not a view unshared by anybody else. Heck, I think Betsy Johnson, roughly speaking, had the same view in the Oregon legislature when we were talking to her about same-day voter registration uh, and other voter access pieces of legislation. The uh, and my counter, one of my counters was, it's not that's not how it works. First of all, it's not it, it, there's not a clear line. That's why we don't do. That's why we don't do uh, poll tests or poll taxes. We don't want proxies for who get to be the people in charge and who don't in democracy. The whole point of democracy so the people get to be in charge. And so the key thing is, get do you get to be defined as a person? But the other argument I would make was, and that I still, and I would love the Ford Foundation to run a study under somebody, is that my, is a little bit like what you said, Pop. I believe that if you start voting, I don't think how it works is like, oh, you get smart and then after that you vote. I think actually once you start voting, you start paying more attention. And I, we know that if you vote a few times in a row, you maintain those habits. But I actually believe the simple act of voting makes someone pay more attention to their democracy. And I believe that could be studied and proven. I've never had the resources to do it. But my need, my jerk of the knee is to agree with you that if people who are in prison were uh, were participating in the franchise that they would feel like they were participating in society and it might take some steps towards reconnecting or staying connected to society i could even imagine there being a voter turnout increase for many people who might not have voted prior to going into prison and all of a sudden building voting habits which is another dynamic that had never occurred to me until this very morning uh dad other things that are happening Oregon College is going to get $228 million in COVID-19 relief. Uh, you know who was quoted on that was uh, was Ben Cannon. Another person who was quoted on that was John Wyckoff, Ben Cannon, you know, both of, both old Bus Project folks. Ben Cannon, now the director of Oregon Higher Education Coordinating Commission. Uh, if you have you been tracking any additional local COVID stuff or relief stuff, how are you anticipating the economy responding in the coming year? Well, of course, we, we already know that uh, it continues to hurt local businesses. Uh, Portland Brewery is closing. Uh, o 
old Navy at Lloyd Center is closing. Portland Brewery is 34 years old. One of the great craft breweries is closing. The COVID yesterday, day before yesterday set a record for cases and deaths in both Oregon and the country. Over 4,400 deaths in the country, 4,300 deaths in the country, 54 deaths in Oregon. So we're we're a long way from out of out of the woods there. The uh, we're talking about COVID. The new strains are showing up, which which apparently, maybe not just apparently, but clearly are more easily transmitted than the original one. But fortunately, it appears that they are can be attacked successfully by the by the vaccine, which is good. And while we're talking about the vaccine, twenty seven thousand over twenty seven thousand vaccines have been shipped. But fewer than 10,000 have been wound up in people's arms, which is just one more example of what I have, we've been talked about for the last four years, that the, perhaps the, the, the most awful thing from the DDT administration is just their sheer incompetence, and that there was never a national program led to help, you know, help states get them into people's arms arms the uh, uh, while we're talking about COVID study suggests that about 59% of the transfers of the virus have no symptoms at the time of the transfer and nearly half of those people about 24% of, of the, the uh, total cases never have any symptoms at all, which underlines the importance of wearing a mask, even no matter how healthy you feel, and no matter how healthy you may be, really, really, really important. And uh, testing in Oregon is down 34%. Don't know quite why, how that is happening. The, uh, oh, the, uh, and I got a few facts to, to throw go in. Uh, we we are now the case count rose by about twelve hundred. Now we're nearly at one hundred and thirty thousand Oregon cases. Four hundred and fifty three people are currently hospitalized in Oregon. Twenty six counties are categorized as extreme risk, including Multnomah, Washington, and Clackamas. Those, of course, are the big ones. Baker, Clatsop, Coos, and Morrow counties just moved from high risk to extreme risk. That means they have stricter safety requirements. Yeah, we're not only out of the woods, but to some degree we are entering them. Back to the uh, back to the Oregon legislature, a record number of people of color were sworn in to the Oregon legislature, including Winsby Campos, uh, Ricky Ruiz, Con Pham, and Casey Jama, all of whom we interviewed here uh, at X-Ray, along with 100 candidates. As part of the 100 candidates, we... Uh, we interviewed in the uh, during the election season. Big shout out to everybody who helped that, including very specifically Emily Gilliland. Uh, we now have the addition of the uh, we now uh, of the very first Somali immigrant. That's Casey Jama, who just had his appointment confirmed, uh, and we'll be interviewing him again soon. Here we just interacted. Also, two doctors, Maxine Dexter and Lisa Reynolds, uh, were sworn in. 
Dad, new legislature starting. Casey John, of course, fills in for Shamia Fagan, who is now the Secretary of State. And the scene's a little weird because people didn't get to have their families. There was not a full chamber. Usually swearing-in ceremonies are, are a day of some ado and not as much ado. A lot of posting on social media and a lot of clicking of likes and commenting, but not as much in person because what I was just saying was related to what you were just saying. We are still in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Well, we're talking about the legislature. Senators Heard and Bartschager, I'm, I'm sure I'm mangling the pronunciation. It was close. Bartschager, I think is right. Okay. Have have come up with citizens versus tyranny to resist masks. I... I have to I have to fight the Im, the the impulse to hope that they both get really sick just to teach them a lesson. And what what do you think should be done? Should anything be done to Representative Nearman other than finding him two thousand bucks for letting radical right protesters into the Capitol? Well, according to Tina Kotek, he should lose his committee assignments, which he did, and he should resign, which he has asked him to do, and he has not done. Do you, do you think there is any chance that his caucus would support his being removed? Such altogether? a good question. It feels like, I mean, my, uh, I guess my jerk of the knee, and pretty soon we got to get to Mike Schmidt, uh, the, but my jerk of the knee is that he is, uh, is the dynamics there feel really similar to the dynamics of impeachment, which is you want to be able to go to your law enforcement allies and your corporate funders and say, oh, no, 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 we're not down for armed insurrection. But you want to be able to go to the bloodthirsty rallies and say, I stand with you. Uh, so what, when you're between that particular Scylla and Charybdis, the nicest thing is to you know not have to go that way at all, is to stay in the safety of shore and not sail into the stormy, windy seas. So my guess is they just like to avoid the question. Uh, I and and I my guess is, you know, they will largely be successful in avoiding the question, but we'll track that because I'm not sure the next dynamic. Uh, There might be some change in the pipeline for the Portland Police Union contract. The current contract allows disciplinary decisions to be made by an outside arbitrary arbitrator, excuse me, not a city commissioner, police chief. And that that, by the way, is a segue. Uh, If Mike's standing by, we should bring him on because I want to ask his opinion on that. Well, we will do that. I think he's with us. Is the is the, our current district attorney, Mike Schmidt, world champion and Hall of Fame third baseman of the Philadelphia Phillies, who came out of retirement to serve us as the top law enforcement official in the county. Mike, thanks for being with us. Hey, good to see you. Here. Good to be with you. How you liking the new job? It sure seems like an uneventful time in history. <laughs> Well, yeah, and you know, my term, uh, you were talking about inauguration, uh, started Monday, uh, also last Monday on Zoom with an inauguration. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I got a, I got an early, early jump on it in August. Congratulations. Do you, were there any needs for legions of armed guards to protect your inauguration or did it happen without the, ne- the need for that? It was a peaceful transition of power from uh, me finishing out the previous term to me taking on my term. So you did not challenge your own ascension. You you shook your own hand. You said congratulations to yourself, and you felt comfortable handing power over from left hand to your own right hand. That's right. I attended. I was there for the whole thing. 
What judge did you choose to do the swearing? Uh, you know, I was really honored to have uh, our first uh, black woman Supreme Court justice and former Multnomah County judge, uh, Adrian Nelson, swear me in. It was a really great honor and privilege for oh, me. That's neat. Today is January 14th. We got a text in. On January 14th, as we think about today, what are the big priorities for the district attorney's office? Either the stuff that's totally obvious or the stuff that people not, might not be as aware of. Yeah, you know, I mean, when there's DA, obviously your your job both is political, uh, but also you're running a 225-person law firm. So, you know, my priorities are both internal to uh, look at my operations, put together my uh, executive management team, uh, you know, uh, support the attorneys who are doing the good work, keep that moving. But then also on the political side, uh, you know, there's a lot of legislation coming up uh, down in Salem, uh, especially on criminal justice reform that I intend to go down and support uh, and focusing on our budget for the county commission and what my asks are going to be, which my biggest priority for that is forming a conviction integrity unit uh, that we can all be proud of in this county. Criminalization, you've critiqued this, the criminalization of poverty and addiction uh, causes additional problems in the county. How do you tackle that as district attorney? And one of the ongoing questions, not only in this conversation, but knock on wood, hopefully our future ones, is how you balance your uh, verve as a reformer, as someone who thinks that the uh, cudgel of criminal justice needs to be wielded in a way with social justice in mind, and your desire and requirement to serve the law and the order. How do you approach criminalization of poverty and addiction? What does that end up meaning for your gig? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think first and foremost, my job as district attorney uh, has to be about keeping our community safe uh, and adding to public safety. And I think, you know, that dovetails uh, really well with this conversation, which is you know, is criminalizing poverty and addiction, uh, does that lead to better public safety outcomes or not? And, you know, frequently I would argue, especially in the case of, you know, possession of small amounts of uh, drugs, things of that nature, trespass, um, further criminalization of those issues doesn't lead to better outcomes. Uh, So I think it's balance, uh, you know, people's rights in our community to safety and also focusing on the data and the research and what will actually make us more safe. And it's not always the way we've been doing things. And that you were a district attorney years ago and you uh, had to also have a first day and a first week. Were there things that you either did or wish you would have done in your first day or first week or questions that you wish you would have been asked in your first day or first week that you now want to ask our Portland, our Multnomah County district attorney? The, the biggest memory I have of my first week, other than being sworn in by Judge Wells, was that there was that week a trial was was held of uh, the, the scion of the creator of Sun Valley, who had been arrested uh, weeks before, g- driving 160 miles an hour along what was then I... 84 north and is is or i80 north rather and uh, and uh, had a, a big sack full of marijuana and i uh, i had to testify in it 
to make it clear that the suggestion of impropriety in the district attorney's office hadn't actually happened. That is that is my main memory. But I but I do have thoughts of of well, what it was like being a district attorney. That uh, given the opportunity, I would like to ask Mike about. Fire away. Okay. Well, one of the, one of the things that I kind of discovered by accident, and that I I put a great deal of emphasis on in my office was the need to help police with their investigations and to suggest and the way it happened there was a, a burglary that had happened and in Hermiston and it had been assigned to a relatively young policeman and he brought the case in and I said okay well we need to do this and this and this and I heard from the chief how much the chief had appreciated that and how much the cop had appreciated that. And the reason that that, that reminded me is last uh, a year ago, September, we had a burglar come into our house and steal my grandson's computer and steal two checks off my shelf, one to me and one by me, that the burglar then ran through a, an ATM and got the money from both of them and we were able to get a picture of him and the, the, the policeman who investigated got a picture of him from the savings and loan or rather the credit union where he'd run the checks and so we had an identification we had a name and the guy was arrested on another burglary down in Clackamas County where he's to be arraigned on the 1st of December and your office said they were not going to pursue it because they didn't have enough information and maybe he could have got the checks from somebody else uh, so he wasn't the burglar. So what's the question? And it struck me that if the if the district attorney had called the cop and said we need this, this, this that might have happened and I wonder what responsibility do you think your staff has in giving guidance to further investigations needed so that burglars like this, because a guy who's burglaring in, in our house in Irvington is probably burglaring wherever he can. Sure. That's a question. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we work together. We are uh, a team in, on all of these cases. Uh, our office has a good track record, but I was just talking with uh, the, the PPB brass, uh, Chief Lavelle and his team. And, you know, this was an issue, uh, that, that they brought up. They said, you know, when your office, um, rejects cases. So rejects cases, and you'll know this, but for uh, the audience means that our DDA reviews it, looks for all the facts, the evidence, applies it to the law, and then determines whether or not we could, uh, meet our burden in court. Uh, the police, uh, chief said to me, you know, when your office rejects cases, it'd be really great to have more individualized feedback for the officer on, you know, what can they do better? Uh, and they identified the, the feedback process that we have now and, uh, and asked that, you know, that's something we could strengthen. So there's a work group uh, that was previously together on this topic. So we're going to revisit it and see if, you know, that's something that we can strengthen. Uh, and I think the other thing that you mentioned is, you know, connecting information and evidence and it's a challenge uh you know uh, in multnomah county the crush of business is, is so large uh that you know individual deputies you know need to do what they uh, can to help 
uh, reach out to police officers, make sure that we have the evidence and, and contact victims. Uh, so that's just something that we have to keep our eye on and, and, and do as good of a job as we can to make sure we're making those connections and, and not de- rejecting cases uh, just because it's not all packaged up. Uh, but when the evidence exists, like it sounds like uh, maybe in your case, it did exist. It was just a matter of connecting uh, things together into the right report. We've heard that. Yeah, from, the re- we've, the re- we've heard the that. We've heard that from listeners. In fact, the that uh, and and even our something we talked about on this show was about identity theft. And you'd get the you'd get a uh, you'd get imagery in a Fred Meyer, but then the Fred Meyer would say, "No, we can't release it. We won't do it unless the police request." And the police say, "No, we'll only do it for ten thousand dollar offenses or larger." And people say, "Well, listen, they'll do ten thousand overall, but not any given check transaction." But I want to keep the questions cracking. Mayor Ted Wheeler has expressed that he'd like to see tougher penalties for protesters, especially those who repeatedly charged with minor offenses. Do you agree with the mayor? Do you think the police should have more leeway when it comes to things like uh, recording people at demonstrations? Have you talked to the mayor about this? Where do you stand? And, and also, yeah. the, related to that, is how do you feel about the Kettling order that just came down? Uh, well, uh, yeah, the mayor and I, have uh, we sat down, we, we spoke with each other on this issue. You know, I let him know, and, and to the mayor's credit, uh, he's not a... Uh, public safety is not his line of uh, expertise, uh, but... You know, so we talked about it, and I told him, I said, you know, it's not the sentences uh, that aren't long enough. I mean, we have property, uh, repeat property crime offender sentences in this state uh, that you can go to prison for doing things like smashing out windows and, and that type of thing. So it's not the sentence length that's the issue. The, the challenge has been um, making those arrests, uh, getting the people who are actually smashing the windows before they, uh, you know, disappear back into the night. And then when we do uh, have the evidence, that we need to to make those cases. So part of that, uh, you asked about uh, surveillance. You know, I think in many instances of policing across this country and even in our county with Gresham, uh, police officers have body cams. Uh, PPB doesn't. You know, I think that's something uh, that we could look at when officers are engaged in protests. You know, body camera evidence uh, could be very useful in us identifying people. So I think that there there is a role um, when there's criminal activity uh, going on uh, to have the normal surveillance tools that, that many law enforcement across this country use for, for evidence gathering. Uh, I think that that could be helpful. There were a raft of resignations and retirements among Portland Police Bureau members, and there's been a challenge of morale. How, what lessons do you draw from that? Is that, in fact, reinforce lessons? Well, yeah, we need to rethink community safety and, in fact, have additional kinds of community safety officers. Is that something else that's going on? Any lessons we should draw? or And how does that interact with your work? Well, it certainly interacts with our work. Uh, we need to uh, make cases, and, and that means gathering evidence, talking to witnesses, uh, and when police officers are spread thin uh, and running from call to call, uh, you know, some of that work can unfortunately uh, fall through the cracks and not get completed. And then we can't make the cases we need. So it'll absolutely impact our work. You know, morale, uh, is, there's no question. Uh, the Portland Police Bureau and the officers who uh, were out every night, um, you know, they took a huge morale hit. Uh, you know, I think that there are lessons that we can learn from that. Um, I've spoken to many officers uh, individually. Uh, we've had great conversations. You know, I've talked to them about what does defund the police mean? And 
and they have thoughts and they have ideas. Uh, I've talked to them about restorative justice and we've had deep conversations about authors that we've read. And we have a lot of really good police officers who want to do the right thing, uh, want to be a part of this movement. And, you know, I think whenever in any situation we paint people with a broad brush, doesn't matter who, who we're talking about. Um, you know, we miss that. We miss their humanity. We miss the nuance. We miss, uh, you know, the engagement. So, you know, I think that hopefully they can be as part of the conversation, but we do need to have the conversation about what does this community expect policing to look like going forward? What does the community want uh, Portland police to focus their resources on? And what do they not want Portland police to focus their resources on? I mean, we need to have that conversation. Uh, and I think police need to be a part of that, just like all the community members that are impacted and have been infected uh, historically by Portland police uh, policies. So, uh, yeah, you know, morale is tough. It's, it's, a, it's a challenging time to be in law enforcement across the across the nation. Uh, but I just encourage people to not think of anybody as a monolith. Um, there are just a lot of really great dedicated people who really love our community. And, and I can work with anybody who loves our community. And, and I think that's how we should all be. One thing we've got to cover before we go is about the police union contract. Dad, you had a question about the police union contract? Yeah. Uh, what, what What's your opinion on the arbitration issue, and uh, uh, do you think you should weigh in on it? Yeah, it's a good question on, on the weighing in on it. You know, I'm still, I'm still new at this, trying to feel out, you know, what is my lane, what is not my lane. Obviously, uh, I'm not in the city uh, in terms of a city official. I'm a county official, uh, and I won't have any um, say. But I do think, you know, it, it goes to accountability. And if there are lessons that we are to draw from everything that happened this summer, accountability is something that our community is really uh, calling for. So the arbitration issue, I think, is a big one. Uh, and, and to what you're referencing is uh, that even when officers are disciplined, the arbitrator ultimately overturns that discipline and reinstates officers uh, frequently back into work. And so I think that's a big issue. Um, but I think people also need to uh, educate themselves as I have been educating myself around, you know, what does bargaining mean and, and what can we, what's realistic to, uh, to expect to get out of this process. And, you know, I think it comes down to what I've learned from talking to others is if we want changes, you know, we have to be willing to, um, you know, pay for that, go give uh, the police union things that, that they are going to be interested in. That's going to be tough. That's going to be a real challenge for city hall to, uh, to navigate um, this issue. Well, Mike, they, your staff said you had a hard out at 845. We would keep you as long as you could go, but we don't want you not to accept our next invitation because we seemed like liars. Do you got to you got to get cracking? I do. I do. I got to go meet with our uh, chief criminal judge, Judge Albright, which I'm really looking forward to. Her and I haven't gotten to sit down one on one since I took over. So well, uh, it's an important meeting and I don't want to leave her hanging. Say hello to Cheryl Albright and have a wonderful day. And thank you so much for spending time and thanks for your service. Indeed, yes, absolutely. You. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you both. We got a text in. Doesn't a lot of turnover provide an opportunity to change the hiring process, change the culture of the police? Maybe. Uh, it depends, right? This is this. I have a I have a business partner of mine, friend of mine, who says that culture beats eats strategy. Excuse me, culture eats strategy for breakfast, and that culture is uh, people learn the culture as they arrive. Sometimes newbies can change it. But very often they learn it as they arrive. 
there is now a significant debate about whether you change police bureau culture because part of what shapes police bureau culture now to be clear is not just what happens at the training service is not just what happens with shift sergeants but frankly what happens in media like think about the view of police that all of us have been trained on and the heroes of movies that who are police and what they do how many how many cop shows how many cop movies have not included the officer firing a gun it sort of seems like that's what you're supposed to do when you become a police officer that's what you dream of doing is shooting the bad guys so i think we have culture issues that aren't merely solvable frankly by a single or a handful of new or even a whole new cohort of new police officers or even by a particular police chief we've seen huge turnover of police chiefs that doesn't necessarily has not seemed to transform the culture of police department so i do think there is you know portland street response is just getting cracking i do think there's a broader conversation here dad anything you want to say i'm going to wrap you real quick you're going to stick around with with julia uh, anything you want to say uh, about that topic before I bounce? We take a quick break. I'm going to miss you, and uh, but I am going to be able to clear my slate for the next 15 minutes. I'm looking forward to that, I must confess. It, it, that, that is now it's his dream to be able to be here <laughs> with unfettered by his son. I love you, Dad. We'll go to a break. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You're listening to X-Ray, where radio is yours. And thank you, Democracy.